and turn to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to be reading the whole chapter. So if you will take it with me, <clears throat> take it out and follow along with me. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, The vision according to Judah and Jerusalem, excuse me, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem, that Isaiah the son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O <clears throat> heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner, his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the word, law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs of goats. When you come to appear before me, you have asked this, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I can't bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts, my soul hates them. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet... They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See how the faithful city has become a harlot? She once was full of justice and righteousness, used to, be, used to dwell in her. But now, murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your, your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers 
and rebels, excuse me, your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They don't defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case doesn't come before them. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares, uh, I will get relief from my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges as in days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. And afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice. Her penitence ones... Her penitent ones with righteousness, but rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like an arden without water. The mighty man will become tender, and his work a spark, and both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. The word of the Lord. This is, as I said last week, the beginning of the preface to the book of prophecy. This isn't the. This is the uh, kind of like the explanatory stuff that's going on before you get to the story. So uh, some scholars even believe that this was actually written later in Isaiah's life. We don't know. We don't have a timeline. There's no evidence in the scripture to tell us that that's the case. What I told you last week was that the, the, the governmental situations, all of the political stuff that was going on, there was uh, Babylon, there was uh, the Assyrians to the north and northeast, there was Egypt to the southwest, and they were the, the land, the land of Israel was, was, was the target. And everyone was after this fertile crescent land. And the end result was that, as we know, if you've read the story in the Bible, that ultimately all of the nation of Israel, Samaria and Judah, and ultimately even Jerusalem, were taken over, and all the people were removed and sent away, and they were left desolate. And then if you go into the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, you see the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Okay, so... Isaiah's time frame is, is that he's, in, he's serving during the last years of what was the glory days of the nation of Israel when they were united, when they were a kingdom. Still, after King David and King Solomon, they're no longer united, but they're, they're, they're still a kingdom, but it's waning. And it, it, they're little by little getting eaten up and eaten away. And so I want to take a few minutes to just, <clears throat> excuse me, take a few minutes to just look at this first chapter. And get the, the sense of what Isaiah is saying to the people. So first of all, I want us to look at... Um, I don't, I'm reading out of a different Bible than I normally have because my other Bible is still packed in my suitcase from last night. And so I'm not... It's on a different section of the page, so bear with me as I'm looking for it. Come on. Somebody show me where it talks about the hut in the middle of the melon field. In the goodness sakes. Yeah. Uh, verse eight it says about melons. 
Thank you, thank you, there it is. See, it's at the bottom of, the, of this page, right down here, that jumps up to the top, and I'm scanning quickly trying to find it. There it is, verse 8. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. See, the, the Jewish people had this attitude of, I am, I am a child of God. I am a, a one that God honors. I am the chosen one of the chosen people of God. And God literally lives with us in this temple. And so nothing can touch us. And God is literally declaring through, through Isaiah in verse 8, thank you very much, that do you think you're so hot? you think you're so special? Well, I'm telling you what, Jerusalem, your little holy city of God that's under God's special care and protection, it's going to end up like a hut in a melon field. And you know what a hut in a melon field is? It's a little tiny shelter that the people put up while they're trying to chase away birds. It's not meant for permanence. It's just a couple poles, maybe a lean-to, just something to get out of the sun while you're watching the fields, making sure that they're not getting messed with by the, by the vermin. Eventually, it's just going to wither away and go out and break up and be blown away or tossed, tossed into a wood pile somewhere to be burned. And that's what the Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem specifically. You think you're the chosen people. You think you're untouchable. I'm telling you. The day is coming, says the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. The day is coming when all you are going to be is a hut in a melon field. Why? Because you're vile in my sight. What does it say? Look after that, verse 10, all the way through to like 16. It says, the multitude of your sacrifices, verse 11. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. And then in verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. All of your special holidays where you come before me. I can't bear them. They're evil. This is God talking to his chosen people. Why would God declare something that he's ordained? Because if we go back to Leviticus, we can read where God said they were supposed to bring the fat, and they were supposed to bring animals, and they were supposed to sacrifice and offer the blood, and they were supposed to assemble three to three or four times a year. This is all God's order, and they're doing what God told them to do, so why is God now saying he doesn't want it? Well, look at verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Why? Even if you offered many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now, it was, it was kind of gross, but one of the commentators that I read said, think about it like this. You go... I'll be not as graphic as he was, because we have some small ears. You go into a room where there's small people. Pick one, anyone. Pick them up by the throat and just hold them until they stop moving. Stand there doing that. And pick up another one and hold them until they stop moving. And then walk out of the room. I worship you, Almighty God. You are holy. That's what these verses are saying. 
I will not listen to your prayers. They're detestable. You come to me with blood on your hands. That's what he's saying. Now, what is this blood on their hands? Well, if you go to the end of this chapter, it says, verse 29, You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. Well, what that's talking about, if you go through 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you'll see, and maybe even maybe in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles, I don't remember now, but you'll see where it talks about the reigns of the various kings of the nation of Israel or the nation of Samaria. And one of the things you'll see written there are, he did this and he did this and he did this, but he did not remove the high places. What is a high place? Anybody? It's a what? It's a place where they worshipped. What did they worship? They worshipped other gods, idols. They worshipped uh, uh, Ashtoreth and Baal. Okay? And Molech. Okay? These false gods were the gods of the Canaanites. And if you go back to the early part of, of uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see the, 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 the word of God coming through Moses and all of the other leaders. Do not, when you get into the land that I am promised to you, do not worship the gods of those people. They are detestable in my sight. They are false gods. That is vile in my sight. And what is now being said by the prophet Isaiah, hundreds if not a thousand years later, is you people did exactly what I told you not to do. You now worship in these high places, in these gardens, under these trees, and you literally sacrifice your children. Literally. To their false gods. I won't get into the graphics of it. There's too many young people here. But you need to understand, the child was alive when they finally died. And it wasn't just that they were asleep and then they stopped breathing. It was vile. It was disgusting. It was gross. And God says, you come to me with your worshipful acts. You come to me with your celebrations and all I see from you is disgust. What I see is a stain that will never be removed. You can wash yourself with an abundance of soap, speaks the prophet Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. And you will never wash the stain. And as I said to the kids this morning, Psalm 51, verse 7, Wash me, O God, and I will be clean. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Pure, a religion that God finds acceptable, I'm paraphrasing, religion that God finds acceptable is to love and minister to the weak, the frail, the helpless, and to keep yourself unstained by the world. That's what God sees as acceptable. And that's never changed from the time of Genesis all the way through 
the, 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 the call of God, the rule of God, the words of God to us are, you live in a way that I tell you to live, and then I will find you acceptable. I can show you in the Psalm, I mean, in the Proverbs and the Psalms where it also says that God will not listen to those who offer prayers to him because they are not worthy in his sight. And you know that just ate, ate me up. It really did. You're supposed to be a loving God. You're supposed to just accept everybody. No, he's not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, he is a loving God. But the, the key word in that phrase is God. Okay? He's the one who has control. He's the one who declares what is supposed to be and what is not supposed to be. And he's the one who has the right and he's the only one who has the right to set the rules. We watched a movie, my wife and I, this week in the uh, late hours of the evening before going to bed. It was called Gods and Generals and it was about uh, the Civil War in the United States. And there's a scene in this movie and I was interacting with the movie by watching, by reading uh, on Wikipedia and other websites that I could find because I, I'm really poor in American history. It's not an area that I've really studied and, and done a lot of strength in. So I wanted to see how truthful this movie was, how real it was to the, to the real history. And there's this one part in this movie, one of the biggest battles, one of the first battles that General Thomas Stonewall Jackson is leading. Okay, and Thomas Stonewall Jackson in this video, in this mo in this scene, is he's seated on his horse at the lead of all of the line of his soldiers, and the enemy is firing cannon and bullets at this whole group. And literally people are falling all over the place, and Jackson is sitting on his horse with his sword outstretched. Just sitting there, not flinching, not moving. He is leading his people, doing what he knows he's supposed to do. And they started saying, he's sitting there like a stone wall. And that's how he got his nickname. Well, I wanted to know how real that was. And so I looked it up. And indeed, that's the truth. That's his history. And why did he sit there like a stone wall while this battle was raging around him? When he was questioned about it, his words were, My life is in the hands of the Almighty God. And it is his determination when I breathe my last. I don't need to run from bullets and I don't need to hide or if God ordains that I'm going to be hit by a bullet, that's his business. If God ordains that none of these bullets will touch me, that's his business. I submit my life to him and I will stand and do what is called, what I am called to do for his glory and his glory alone. Whoa. And I thought about that for myself. Would I have had the courage and the strength of my faith to stand there with the bullets flying and do what I was called to do without fear or worry. I shouldn't say without fear because I'm sure he was like on the inside. But without, without running scared, trusting that God himself was going to do for me whatever God felt was appropriate and necessary. And God was only going to allow into my life whatever God felt was appropriate and necessary. And I didn't need to trouble myself with it. I just need to do what I'm charged with doing. That's an incredible statement. And it is ouch for me. Because I don't think I have it in me. I don't think I'm there in my faith yet. But that's what God is holding these Israelites accountable for. 
He's saying, yeah, you're my chosen people. Yeah, from the very beginning, I can show you all the way through how I have declared that you are my chosen people. And there are certain specific promises that come to you as a result of our great relationship. But the problem, people, is that you have become harlots. Not you. The Israelites. God is saying, I am the sovereign God, the Lord of hosts. Remember last week we said... Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty. That's exactly where this came from. The Lord Almighty, the God of all gods, the God of everything, says, you people are vile in my sight. And the end result is, blessings gone. The enemy is coming, and your place is going to be cleansed and cleaned out. He starts talking, he says, and again, I can't point out because I'm in the wrong Bible, in the wrong uh, book, but he says, You're like watered-down wine. You're like dross. Not pure silver, dross. You've allowed such filth into your world, into your life, you're not even valued anymore. But the cool thing, the wonderful thing, the glorious thing, in this chapter, verse 18, he says... Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they shall be as white as snow, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And the wonderful thing about that, I mean, see this is on the screen. I got that off the internet. People hold on to this verse as a credible, wonderful promise. Come now, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they're going to be white as snow. I'm going to make you clean. Thank you, God. What a wonderful promise. Thank you, God. I trust you. I hold on to that. You're going to make me clean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I hold on to that promise. I hold on to that promise. I know that God has promised me that my stain will be gone. Unfortunately, I continue to forget to read verse 19 in chapter 1, which says, If you are willing and obedient. You see, God's promises almost always have a provision. There's almost always a part for you to play. Yes, no one can remove the stain of your sin but God Almighty. But God doesn't remove the stain of your sin until you ask Him. Until you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Till you say, I believe. I confess. I repent. And I no longer want to live the way I was living. Wash me now, O Lord. I recognize that as much soap as I would want to use, I can't do it on my own strength. The only way I can be cleansed is through your power, through your provision, through your means. And so I trust you. And the end result? Yes, indeed, we will be washed whiter than snow. We will be clean and pure. But sometimes, in order to have that happen, God has to allow the adversity to come. 
Because, you see, the nation of Israel, the nation of, of Judah, had gotten to the point where, as a nation, not individuals, but as a nation, they were turning their backs to the only God that they had. Because they were seeking out everything and everything else. I mean, if we looked into the history, even the king made alliances with other nations, trying to keep from being attacked by somebody else. Instead of just standing there saying, like Stonewall Jackson, God Almighty is my God. And I will trust in his providence to do whatever is appropriate and right for me. And I'm going to continue to just do what I know I've been told to do. At the end result, the word of God declares is, because of your disobedience, because of your harlotry, because of you allowing all of this, the end result is I have to do a cleansing and a purging. And if I don't, you'll never be clean. And that's it's not going to be pleasant. And some of you are going to be lost. As a nation, it says. Only the ones who are obedient. Only the ones who submit. The ones who continue to play the game that they've been playing are going to, be, are going to die, literally. They're going to lose their, their, their rights. They're going to end up separate from God. Ultimately, the nation of Israel does survive. The word of God is spoken. But not, not until significant loss takes place. And is there an application for me in my life and for you in your life today? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is all of us, the word of God declares, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have gone on our own way. All of us have in some way played the harlot. And so the only way to make that right is to repent of our sins, to confess our sins to plead with God to make it right in our life. But that's not the end of it. The rest of it is that we're called to live a life of holiness and purity before this world. Let your deeds be seen by your men. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are called to be salt and light in this world. We are called to make the kingdom of God advance in this world. And the way we do that is we live clean and holy and pure lives before God in this world. And the way you do that is through the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God in your life. So where I'm at today, and what does this mean for me today, is God, I recognize that yeah, I have messed up, but I also know that my life is right before you right now. To the best of my understanding, my life is right before God, and I know that I'm clean in His sight. And I need to just continue pressing on. That's what I know for me. I can't tell about you. What I would tell you is before we take this communion, you need to make sure. Because the Word of God says, don't take it if you're not in right relationship. So we're going to take a few minutes and be quiet before the Lord before we take this communion. And then we're going to just be in his presence for just a moment and then we'll share together the meal and then we'll pronounce benediction.